Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Letters from Our Founding Fathers podcast. Absolutely, it is great to have you here. Today, we are going to be covering the Declaration of Independence, because why not? It's only the founding document for the United States of America. Some think that's the Constitution. Uh, They would be wrong. The Constitution is not the founding document of the United States of America. It is the founding document of the federal government. And there is a difference. And we will be talking about those differences as this podcast goes on. In the meantime... If you have any questions or comments, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I try to bring those reviews and those comments onto the podcast so I can talk about those and I can maybe spend a little bit of time answering some uh, some questions about some specifics that we talk about here on this podcast, whatever, what have you. If you uh, don't have access to Apple Podcasts, you can also leave comments and questions on Patreon. I have a Patreon over at uh, Podcasts with Roman. There should be a link in the show notes to this podcast somewhere. It's largely, I use that largely for other podcast work that I do, but I do allow for people to send questions about this podcast through there as well, just in case you do not have access to Apple Podcasts. Some people listen on Spotify or elsewhere. So on this first part of our coverage of the Declaration of Independence, I'm going to talk about some of the background of the Declaration of Independence, namely from Mr. Jefferson himself. I like to go directly to the letters, and I like to go directly to the people involved, because why just cover the Declaration of Independence when we can pull some letters that talk about the Declaration of Independence from the man himself, Thomas Jefferson. That's what we do on this podcast. This is, after all, the letters from our founding fathers, and I have a good one. This is a great letter. This is fantastic. It actually answers quite a few questions. And the letter in question is going to be a letter written from Thomas Jefferson to a James Madison. Yes, the James Madison, a.k.a. the father of the American Constitution. That would be the General Constitution, a.k.a. the Federal Constitution. This is going to be a letter written from Thomas Jefferson on August the 30th of 1823. This was deep into his life. He's uh, getting towards the the trailing end of his life. He's going to be gone in a few years from this particular letter, unfortunately. But this letter does answer some, some questions about what Thomas Jefferson had to deal with as it pertains to, you know, questions of who wrote the Declaration of Independence and how it was written. There are actually people who, it's almost like a conspiracy theory, for lack of a better way of putting it, but it's just a thought. Some people think that Thomas Jefferson did not write the Declaration of Independence. And I don't know how they would get that thought, except that they have never read the letters from our founding fathers. Because if you read the letters, then you know for sure that, yes, Thomas Jefferson actually did write the Declaration of Independence. I don't know why people would try to take that away from him. I I think it's just... um, I think it's further manipulation of history, people trying to rewrite history or make history into whatever they want it to be or whatever, what have you, something along those lines. But this letter is a good one. I'm going to start reading this thing, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Of course, as we go through this, if you have any questions, just leave a review on Apple Podcasts or go over to Patreon. Starting off in this letter, I quote, You have doubtless seen Timothy Pickering's 4th of July observations on the Declaration of Independence. If his principles and prejudices, personal and political, gave us no reason to doubt whether he had truly quoted the information he alleges to have received from Mr. Adams, I should then say that in some of the particulars, Mr. Adams' memory has led him into unquestionable error. At the age of 88 and 47 years after the transactions, 
of independence. This is not wonderful, nor should I, at the age of 80, on the small advantage of that difference only, venture to oppose my memory to his, were it not supposed by written notes taken by myself at the moment and on the spot, end quote. So what's he talking about? Timothy Pickering, a man who, who was around, generally speaking, during the uh, founding of the country and, and afterward, he, um, he is alleged to have received something from Mr. Adams in regards to the Declaration of Independence, which Thomas Jefferson takes issue with, and Thomas Jefferson's going to tell us a little bit about that. And he questions whether, and honestly, it's a question of whether or not, you know, Mr. Pickering is actually reporting on something from Mr. Adams. But, you know, if Mr. Adams did report to Mr. Pickering what Thomas Jefferson thinks was reported to Mr. Pickering or what Mr. Pickering articulated, then Mr. Adams' memory may be incorrect. It's basically what Thomas Jefferson is saying. And Thomas Jefferson is going to say that he took notes at the moment when the Declaration of Independence was being written and shortly thereafter that contradict what Mr. Pickering says about the Declaration. So let's, let's get into this. And I quote, He says, The Committee of Five, to wit, Dr. Franklin, Sherman, Livingston, and ourselves met, discussed the subject, and then appointed him and myself to make the draft. That we, as a subcommittee, met, and after the urgencies of each on the other, I consented to undertake the task. That, that the draft being made, we, the subcommittee, met and conned the paper over, and he does not remember that he made or suggested a single alteration. Now, these details are quite incorrect, end quote. So, Mr. Adams is alleged to have said that he does not remember making or suggesting a single alteration. Mr. Jefferson takes issue with this. It was actually said that Mr. Jefferson took quite a bit of issue with the, uh, the editing of his original draft of the Declaration of Independence. And I think that's why Mr. Jefferson is, is a little worked up about this, and he wants to set the record straight. He wants to tell the world that the, this, isn't, this is not right. And I'm glad Mr. Jefferson took the time to write this letter to uh, Mr. Madison. Let us get into more of what uh, Mr. Jefferson has to say about this, and specifically the alterations made to his original draft of the Declaration. And I quote, The Committee of Five met. No such thing as a subcommittee was proposed, but they unanimously pressed on myself alone to undertake the draft. I consented. I drew it. But before I reported it to the committee, I communicated it separately to Dr. Franklin and Mr. Adams, requesting their corrections because they were the two members of whose judgments and amendments I wished most to have the benefit before presenting it to the committee. And you have seen the original paper now in my hands with the corrections of Dr. Franklin and Mr. Adams interlined in their own handwritings. Their alterations were two or three only and merely verbal. I then wrote a fair copy, reported it to the committee, and from them unaltered to Congress. This personal communication and consultation with Mr. Adams, he has misremembered into the actings of a subcommittee, Pickering's observations of Mr. Adams, in addition that it contained no new ideas, that it is a commonplace compilation its sentiments hackneyed in Congress for two years before, and its essence contained in Otis's pamphlets, may all be true. Of that I am not to be the judge. Richard Henry Lee charged it as copied from Locke's treatise on government. Otis's pamphlet I never saw. And whether I had gathered my ideas from reading or reflection, I do not know. I know only that I turned to neither book nor pamphlet while writing it. I do not consider it as any part of my charge to invent 
new ideas altogether and to offer no sentiment which had ever been expressed before, end quote. So what's he going on about now? He's, tran he's transitioned from the structure of the committee and the alterations and corrections and this, that, and the other thing to some accusation, I suspect, that the declaration was not inspired solely by Mr. Jefferson, but it was inspired by these other folks, Otis, John Locke, and people like that. And that he basically took those ideas and cobbled, together, cobbled them together in the Declaration of Independence. What he's saying is, they may bear some resemblance to things that had been, you know, discussed, or as he puts it, hackneyed, in Congress for two years before. And it may bear some resemblance to Otis or Locke or a multitude of other people, but it was, but it was fresh off of Thomas Jefferson's mind. Basically, what he's saying is that this was the common thinking of the day. Those sentiments in the Declaration. It's how, it's how the people of the colonies felt. And Thomas Jefferson embodied that and wrote it down from his own mind without consulting books or pamphlets. He just wrote it down freehand as one coherent writing, a declaration, proclamation, a statement of our grievances. And it was, it was from him. It was from Jefferson. That's what he's saying. And I fully believe that. I, I have no reason to doubt that. And I don't know why anybody would. And I don't know why anybody would, honestly, I don't know why anybody would care. Really what matters is the substance of the Declaration. Does it, is it, it, does it speak to how the colonists felt? Is it accurate? And I believe that it clearly is, and we will discover that as we go on this podcast. We are going to cover in depth those grievances and what exactly it was that led up to it and what happened around it from the letters of our founding fathers. But let me read this last section uh, of the letter that I want to cover here. And I quote, Had Mr. Adams been so restrained... Congress would have lost the benefit of his bold and impressive advocations of the rights of revolution, for no man's confident and fervid address more than Mr. Adams encouraged and supported us through the difficulties surrounding us, end quote. And then he continues on, quote, which, like the ceaseless action of gravity, weighed on us by night and by day, yet on the same ground we may ask what of these elevated thoughts was new or can be affirmed never before to have entered the consumptions of man, end quote. So he's speaking to Mr. Adams' voice being so necessary and so valuable to the cause of independence and defending their rights, but was everything that Mr. Adams was saying strictly from him, or was it inspired by the ideas of others around him in the colonies at the time, perhaps Samuel Adams, for example, amongst others? Of course it was probably inspired and somewhat uh, and somewhat by the other by the other folks. And Mr. Jefferson is making the point that even though Mr. Adams' thoughts may have been inspired by some of the people around him that he was studying, could have, like I said, could have been his cousin Samuel Adams, it could have been Locke, it could have been any, any number of people. And not to mention the, the, the long history of republics and empires that, Tom, or excuse me, that Mr. Adams had studied. Mr. Adams was a great student of history, very well read. Surely mo many of his ideas were inspired by that studying of history. Does that mean they weren't his ideas? Does that make him any less valuable or important to the uh, to the cause of liberty during this particular period of time? Of course not. And the essence of it was very much Mr. Adams, just like the Declaration of Independence. The essence of it was very much Mr. Jefferson. But there we go. That is a that is a very, very interesting debate from Mr. Jefferson to Mr. Madison. Now, Mr. Madison had a response. And I want to read a, a portion of Mr. Madison's response back to Thomas Jefferson because it's uh, it's it's very instructive. I mean, we're talking about two of the great minds of the founding of the United States of America going back and forth with each other in correspondence, Madison and Jefferson. 
there's bound to be some insight gained in listening to these two men speak, which again is why we talk about the uh, letters from our founding fathers. So this is going to be a letter from James Madison to Thomas Jefferson written on September the 6th of 1823, ladies and gentlemen, just a short while after Jefferson had uh, penned his uh, letter to Mr. Madison. And I'm going to read just uh, one section of this letter and right in the middle of this uh, this correspondence. Quote, I am glad you have put on a, on paper a correction of the apocryphal tradition furnished by Pickering of the draft of the Declaration of Independence. If he derived it from the misrecollections of Mr. Adams, it is well that the alterations of the original paper proposed by the latter in his own handwriting attest the falli- fallibility of his aged memory. Nothing can be more absurd than the cavil that the Declaration contains known and not new truths. The object was to assert, not to discover truths, and to make them the basis of the Revolutionary Act. The merit of the draft, therefore, could only consist in a lucid enunciation of human rights and a condensed enumeration of the reasons for such an exercise of them, and in a style and tone appropriate to the great occasion and to the spirit of the American people, end quote. So what's he saying? Number one, he's, sa- he's saying, yes, absolutely. You have the evidence, you have the documentation, you understand. We, we now understand that Mr. Pickering was wrong, and if Mr. Adams, if what Mr. Adams wrote to Mr. Pickering was accurate, then Mr. Adams unfortunately doesn't recall quite accurately exactly what transpired, which is fine. Thomas Jefferson, of course, would have the most accurate notes, most likely, because this was his child, practically, the Declaration of Independence. This is, he gave birth to this thing, that document. And a- Madison gets into this, um, this, this interesting point here, really, um, in the middle of that paragraph, quote, Nothing can be more absurd than the cavil that the Declaration contains known and not new truths. The object was to assert, not to discover truths, and to make them the basis of the Revolutionary Act, end quote. So he's basically saying that this debate over whether the Declaration contained sentiments that had been talked and discussed many times previous, or they were new, is ridiculous. It doesn't matter. The object of the draft is what what Madison is saying. The object of it was to assert the truths of the Revolution, not to find them not to discover them. There was nothing, of course, there was nothing terribly new in the Declaration because the Declaration was being written and independence declared because of what had happened for years. Years, ladies and gentlemen. This had been going on for a very long time. Of course, the Declaration wasn't some incredibly revolutionary. It was was revolutionary to the extent that the action that 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 it instigated the independence itself was revolutionary. And the actual implementation of it was revolutionary, was new. But the actual ideas themselves discussed, not so much new. They were understood, and that's fine. It took quite a lot to write that Declaration of Independence, ladies and gentlemen. It took a lot. The, the colonists suffered greatly for a, a long period of time, and some more than others. But they suffered greatly for a long period of time, all leading all the way up to that, the writing of that declaration. They didn't just do it overnight. And what was articulated in that declaration was a long train of abuses and usurpations. Does that sound familiar? And it, go, it goes back years, many years. And by the time it was written, I mean most succinctly, since 1774 and the Intolerable Acts, they had suffered one thing after the next. Massachusetts, the government of Massachusetts had effectively been overthrown. Their constitution, that is not not just for Massachusetts, but the constitution, the British constitution, such as the founding fathers articulated, had been violated. Sound familiar? And then 
the military was being moved in in large numbers by the thousands into just the city of Boston. The military, the army, the commerce of the colonies was under constant threat. Their ability to actually build and sustain themselves was under threat. And then one day, the British military decides to get up and march out of Boston and go out into the countryside and assault British subjects, their own people, steal or destroy their property, and kill anybody who got in their way. And they did. Or they tried. And then even then, that was, that was in 1775. This Declaration of Independence was not written until 1776. It was almost exactly a year later after that that, de- that independence was declared. That's quite a long time when you're in a shooting war with your own military. That's a long time. So why did they wait? What took so long? And the answer was they were trying everything they could possibly try to seek some reasonable accommodation with Britain whereby their rights were recognized, their governments, that is to say their local governments like that in Massachusetts, was upheld. They didn't have to suffer under a military dictatorship and soldiers marching out to the, in the, into the countryside to shoot at them. But despite their best efforts, it failed, and thus we, fa- we get to July 4th, 1776, Declaration of Independence, and thus begins a, uh, a new nation conceived in liberty. And that would be the nation that we still in, uh, enjoy today, the United States of America. Or for our Spanish-speaking folks out there, los Estados Unidos. And it's by the actions of these men, and frankly speaking, the women of the founding generation as well. That's the reason why we are here today, and we enjoy this country. We enjoy our frame of government, the Constitution of the United States of America, and yes, that Declaration of Independence. And we're going to talk a lot about that. Why was this so important to Thomas Jefferson? Why write this letter to James Madison? Why get all worked up about what Mr. Pickering and potentially Mr. Adams were saying about it? Because it meant so much to him. And it wasn't, I don't think it was just the writing of the Declaration of Independence. It was everything that happened after that. When they wrote that thing and when they actually put it to work, they had every reason in the world to believe that the British military would overcome them, track them all down, and kill them. And the amount of stress and anguish that these people had to endure over the course of their life because of that document is something that Americans in the modern day, frankly speaking, can't really comprehend. And, you, and it's, it's compounded by not just the Revolutionary War with Great Britain, but the later War of 1812 when the British Army invaded the United States again. And Thomas Jefferson was alive to see it. And James Madison was president when it happened. And they had to watch, well, James Madison actually watched it with his two eyes. Thomas Jefferson read about it. They had to watch the White House get burned to the ground. Practically, there was like some shell of a building left after the fire was put out. Can you imagine the stress that these people felt? The concern about the survival of the United States of America? The survival, we we look at it in hindsight, and we regard it as a fait accompli. It was always going to happen. This thing called the United States of America was always going to survive. It was always going to succeed. It was always going to win the war. And then it was going to win the next war. That's not how it actually happens in reality. It's important to put yourself in the place of a Thomas Jefferson or a John Adams or a Dr. Franklin and understand, look at it through their eyes. No guarantee of success. Writing that Declaration of Independence and especially signing it was practically a death warrant. And the war lasted for many years. And at every step along the way, there was always a chance they were going to get their hat handed to them and lose everything. 
And then it happens again in 1812. And at every step along the way, they're clinging to they're clinging to everything that they've got that this thing will actually just survive. Because the threats to the United States of America, the threat to that Declaration of Independence was so great for so long, and it was so fragile in the beginning, just about anything could have snuffed that flame out and ended it. It's hard for us to understand that in this day and age. Sitting comfortable in the 21st century, relatively comfortable, without having to worry about a British military marching into Washington, D.C. to burn the entire city to the ground, we can be comfortable. Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, Mr. Adams, and so many others, they didn't have that luxury. They were practically sitting on pins and needles the whole time, from the time they signed this document until the time they died, which was a long time, in the case of Mr. Adams especially and Mr. Jefferson. I can scarcely imagine what that was like. The only way I get a hint of it is through reading the letters from our founding fathers. That provides me a window into the spirit of a Thomas Jefferson on this particular issue his Declaration of Independence that he wrote for all of us in the United States of America. So for that reason, I want to thank everybody for joining me on this episode of the podcast. I want to thank you for joining me in listening to Mr. Jefferson and Mr. Madison speak today to us all about that document. And again, if you have any questions or comments about this podcast, do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's where I check for the reviews. If you're listening on another platform and you do not have access to Apple Podcasts, Patreon is always available. You have to create an account to go over there on Patreon, but if you want to, you can. It's not required, but you can. I do this podcast as a public service. It is no cost to you, but if you want to get a hold of me, that's how you get a hold of me. And thank you once more for joining me on this podcast. I hope you will be here for every single episode of this podcast hereafter. And with all of that said, this is Roman signing out. Thank you. Thank you.